Let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 19 as we continue our Sunday morning sermon series through the book of Exodus. We'll be looking this morning at verses 7 through 15. If you have not brought a Bible with you this morning, there are black pew Bibles and the pew racks in front of you. And our passage is found on page 60 in those pew Bibles. We are continuing with Israel at Mount Sinai that is eventually going to lead up to the giving of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. We see that Moses is going to meet with God, and or actually has met with God, and God rehearsed for him in the section we saw last week, what he has done for Israel. Uh, He led them on eagle's wings and brought them to himself, etc., etc., but also laid down some requirements, which he's going to expound on more in the Ten Commandments. Today, we'll see that Israel is to prepare to meet with God. Let's look at our passage this morning, Exodus chapter 19, beginning in verse 7. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, And let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. And thus far, God's holy word. Let's go to him in prayer. Our God, how we thank you that you are a God who does reveal yourself. You draw near to us, O God. We thank you that you are also a holy God. And you teach us how we are to approach you. So, God, we pray that you would draw near to us this morning, and you would teach us from your word. 
Open our eyes that we might see you and we might hear you as you speak to us from your word this day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How do you, who are here this morning, prepare to meet with God? How do you prepare to come to worship? Is it part of your weekly routine? Many people really never think of it. Specific, planned, intentional preparation to come come to worship, to prepare for worship, to plan to come and meet with God. I encourage you to do so. Uh, many people just don't think about doing that, but let me encourage you to, to do so. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in reading scripture. Perhaps to read the scripture passages that are listed in the the, the newsletter that comes out on the weekly newsletter uh, that comes out on, on Thursdays. Getting a good night's sleep is always very helpful. Of course, if you have little children, you know, babies that wake up in the middle of the night, that makes it hard to do, but getting a good night's sleep is, is definitely a, a helpful uh, thing. But we come on Sunday mornings to worship the Holy God. Come into the presence of the Holy God when we come on Sunday mornings. The psalmist writes in Psalm 96 that God is holy. And we are called in Psalm 96, 9 to worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness, tremble. Before him all the earth, the psalmist says. And I don't think, and, 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 and commentators, I think, agree with this, or at least the ones that I've read, that the splendor of holiness means we are to come in the splendor of holiness. We are to prepare ourselves as we come to meet with a holy God. Some translations even read, come in holy attire to worship the holy God. And really, this is what we see here. God's people preparing to meet with God at Sinai. God gives them instructions to prepare for how to come and to meet with him at Sinai. And he is coming to do what? We saw last week. He's coming to establish a covenant. Now this is, as we saw last week, it's, it's a, a covenant, a, a covenant that we often ca- call the Mosaic Covenant. It's a covenant that's a continuation of God's covenant with, with Abraham, part of God's larger covenant of grace that we talked about last week. We're not going to get into that more this morning. Here he lays out his law. And it's a law that basically calls for the holiness of God's people. Why? Because a holy God requires holiness of his people. 
We're going to see two things, or I want us to see two things. We'll see a lot of things, but I want us to see two main things from this passage this morning. The first is the revelation of God, and secondly, the consecration of God's people. So that's our basic outline this morning, the revelation of God, the consecration of God's people. First of all, the revelation of God we see in verses 7 to 9. Look with me, first of all, at verses 7 and 8. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before him all these words that the Lord had commanded. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. All right, so I, th- I think that these words, some, some commentators disagree on this, but it seems like this is a, these seven and eight is a condensed section. Moses tells the elders in verse seven, and we jump from Moses telling the elders to all the people in verse eight answering together. What seems to happen is Moses tells the elders, the elders then go and report to the people who then respond. So if the elders hear from Moses, the elders go and tell the people, this is going to take some time. But the people do respond, the elders come back and report to Moses what the people have said. Some people say it's the elders representing the people who respond. Anyhow, there's a positive response, a positive response from the people. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. It's a positive response, and yet it's an interesting one. Why is it an interesting one? It's an interesting one because they don't know what they're committing to. They don't know yet what, what God is telling them to do. He hasn't given them his commands yet. Why do they do that? They're committing to what God is going to tell them based on what? Based on what God has already done for them. They commit to what God is going to tell them to do based on what God has already done for them. And in many ways, brothers and sisters, isn't that what we do? Isn't that what we do? We don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. We know that God has led us in the past through trials, through dark times, through sickness, through scares, etc., etc. The psalmist says in, in Psalm 9, he says, I will recount in verse 1 all, his, all your wonderful Deeds. And then he says in Psalm 9, verse 10, those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. 
Notice that. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. In verse 1, those who know your name put their trust in you, for you have not forsaken them. Based on what you have done, they will put their trust in you. And that's what the Israelites are, are doing here. I mean, they, they, they have messed up a lot over the last few chapters. They're going to mess up a lot. But here they're, they're standing pretty firm based on what God has done for them. This is why we can say, I will commit to following the Lord. I will do what he says. He has, he has done me good. I've not always been faithful. I've not always done him what he deserves. But he has done me good. And so what's the Lord's response to this? Look at verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a, in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. He is coming in a, in a thick cloud. And notice these two clauses that follow. First of all, that the people may hear when I speak. This is a revelation that God is giving. They hear when I speak. The law is a revelation of God, but it is, it is not just a revelation of God. It is a, a revelation of himself. It is a, a revelation that both comes from him, but it is a, a revelation that reveals him, that reveals his both demands and his, his character. It reveals God himself. But also notice the second clause. That they may also believe you forever. God comes down and meets that they may believe in Moses. They affirm Moses as God's prophet. The cloud is significant. God is often revealed in scripture associated with a cloud. We see this even in the book of Revelation. Christ himself is seen as riding on a cloud. Psalm 97 says clouds and thick darkness are all around him. We've seen a a cloud that has been leading Israel through the wilderness as we've been working our way through Exodus This cloud is not the same one as that cloud that's been leading Israel after the Exodus. This is a different cloud. Notice its description here. I'm coming in a a thick cloud. It's a dense cloud or a dark cloud, different from the earlier one. It indicates God's presence, and yet it both reveals and conceals. That's what's significant about it. It reveals God in his, in his majesty. It points uh, to him, and it's going to point to him in his, 
in his word and when they encounter his word, they encounter God himself. They see him in his, in his glory. But it also conceals. It conceals his awesome holiness. It's a reminder that while we can know God and God makes himself known in some ways. He makes himself known in his word. We, we can't know him in his totality. There's mystery. John Mackay puts it, the clouds suggest both heavenly majesty and concealment of the divine from the scrutiny of mankind. In theological terms, as theologians put it, we see here both the the transcendence and the imminence of God, the transcendence and the imminence, the closeness of God. It's summed up by Isaiah 57, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in a high and holy place and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit. As Phil Riken puts it in his commentary, it is not wrong to want to know God. What is wrong is to demand entrance into the secrets he has not chosen to reveal. God remains in many ways a mystery to us, even as he reveals himself. You know, our age, in our age in the church, the focus on imminence far outweighs the focus on the transcendence of God. Any of you remember the, the book, the, the Shack, many, many years ago, 15 years ago or so, I can't remember when it was where God was a, a black woman who hugs people, who is not condemning, etc., etc. Very popular in evangelical circles. We see this in the popularity of churches that that advertise casual worship. It's a great distance from the exhortation, Hebrews chapter 12, that says, Let us therefore be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. First of all, we see this revelation of God. Secondly, in light of that, we see the consecration of God's people. We see it in verses 10 to 15. As God's people get ready to meet with God, they must, we see here, prepare for it. They must be consecrated in particular. We see that word used twice, both in verse 10 and again in verse 14. Go to the people and consecrate them 
today and tomorrow. Again, in verse 14, Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated uh, the people. In other words, what does consecrate mean? Essentially, it means to be made holy. They must be made holy. God is a holy God. His people must be a holy people set apart for God. What does this entail? In these verses, it really entails three things. First of all, they must wash their garments. Look at verse 10. The Lord said to Moses, go to the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments. Clothes, in general, are a symbol and of the nature and intention of the wearer, especially in certain situations. Washing garments is a recognition of the need for purity. I had a delightful lunch this week with our brother, Doug Nichols. And he was, many of you know, or most of you know, of his many, many years of service in the Philippines. And he was telling, he told me a couple stories and about the Philippines and conversions of the Philippines, two stories. And one of the first things these two individuals did after coming to faith in Christ was taking a bath and washing their clothes. And I said, Doug, you just gave me a perfect example, a perfect illustration for my sermon on Sunday. Took a bath, washed their clothes, an outward symbol of the inward regeneration. Here in this text, it's an external act indicating the intent to holiness. So they wash their garments. Secondly, we see the command to fence off the mountain, verses 12 and 13. You shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it, Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch it, but he shall be stoned or shot. That is, with an arrow. They didn't have guns back then. Whoever touches the mountain, sorry, whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. Why? Why is the mountain to be essentially fenced off. Why? Because of the holiness and the majesty of God. An unholy people cannot approach him. And this is a good reminder, even for us in Christ in one sense, because it means that we are to come with reverence and awe. It means that we are to come Only as God dictates, we come into his presence. People often sentimentalize God, that sweet grandfather in the sky. But God is, in fact, dangerous. It's dangerous. That famous line out of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Is he, is he safe? Lucy asked. 
And Mr. Beaver says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe about Aslan. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Fence off the mountain. Third, be ready. Be ready. Look at verse 11. And be ready. Be ready, Moses says, for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the, of all the people. The third day. Why the third day? gives time for reflection. First of all, it gives time to get these things done. There weren't a whole lot of sources of water where they were, it, probably, most likely. But it also gives time for reflection. Reflection on God's majesty. Reflection on themselves. As Alec Moltier puts it, those days at the foot of the mountain also imposed discipline required to keep holiness in the forefront of their minds. This would also include, as he goes on to say, the anxiety of parents keeping their children from the mountain, from touching the mountain, would keep shepherds alert, trying to keep their animals from grazing too close to the mountain. But it would keep them aware of their unworthiness in light of God's awesome holiness. And this section ends with this interesting command in verse 15, be ready for the third day, do not go near a woman. In other words, they can be totally devoted to God. Of course, scripture constantly affirms the, the, the goodness of uh, sex, of a man, a husband and wife coming Together, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 7, devote yourselves to one another in sexual relations. But even Paul says, but if desired to spend time in prayer, uh, spend time apart. But Calvin sums all this up and says they are to be reminded that all earthly cares were as much as possible to be renounced, that they might give their entire attention to the reading of the law. Let me conclude with this. How do we approach God? How do we approach God? We see several things from this section. We sum up. First of all, we approach God with proper preparation. Reflection, prayer, sins confessed. We say a corporate prayer of confession in pretty much every service. Yet, it should be done in light of the individual prayer of confession of sin already done. Secondly, we are to approach God with reverence and with awe, as we see in Hebrews chapter 12. 
not come lightly. Of course, it's mixed with the joy of Christ for us. Yet we still come before a holy God. Third, we come within the limits that God sets. This includes many things, I think, but a key thing is we come and do what God has commanded that we do in worship. Fourth, we come in the beauty of holiness. To worship God in his beauty, but in particular, seeking to be holy ourselves. Come to worship committed to obedience, committed to hearing and doing the word of God, to be set apart from what is unclean. Of course, remembering all the time, brothers and sisters, that we are covered with the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ultimately, fifth, we meet with God, as Israel did, through a mediator. We meet with God through a mediator. Even with a mediator, Israel could not meet, could not approach God. Only the mediator could But we can. We can. We can approach God because of our mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. We can come into God's presence. We can come to God's throne of grace. We can, in fact, come boldly, as Scripture says, to God's throne of grace. Our mediator sits at God's right hand on our behalf. Let me end with these words from Hebrews chapter 12 a little earlier in the passage I read earlier. The writer Hebrews says, for you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not even endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Indeed, we come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, who enables us to come into the very presence of the living God. Let's pray. Our God, how we thank you that indeed you are a holy and awesome God. And yet how we thank you for Christ, our mediator, our Savior, our Lord, our God, who has opened up a way into your very presence. 
So, O God, may we come boldly to your throne of grace because you welcome us as your beloved children. We thank and praise you for our Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.